Hello, this is Jeff Treisman. This is Matt Schmidt. And you're listening to Impolitik. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? Our next guest is Eve Shab, a published author and speaker who writes, quote unquote, stunt memoirs in order to eliminate the ills of contemporary society in a relatable and engaging way. She's the author of Year of No Sugar and Year of No Clutter, both of which received widespread media attention. Eve has been featured on a Dr. Oz show, Fox and Friends, USA Today, The Huffington Post, among others. Her book has been translated into multiple languages. And her writing has appeared in notable outlets, including Newsweek uh, and the Boston Globe. His most recent book, Year of No Garbage, was published earlier this year, in which she writes about her personal experience to live an entire year without creating any trash at all. So with that, Eve, welcome to Impolitik. Thank you, Jeffrey. So the French version of the book, you have in English, it's Year of No Garbage, and in French, it's Year of No Garbage. Is that <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Checking for our, for our listeners. Definitely. Yes, totally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think the, the first question here is if you could just give a brief overview of, uh, of, of what you did. Sure. Um, yeah. I So this is kind of what I do. Uh, I, I have three different projects that I've done, uh, starting with Year of No Sugar. I went on to Year of No Clutter. And the most recent being Year of No Garbage. And what I do is I go to my family and I propose an idea, a sort of stunt that we will do for a calendar year. Um, in the case of Year of No Garbage, um, I, I was thinking back to being a little kid. And I, I remember being sort of fascinated with the idea of garbage and where does it go? Like, you know, we had this big black plastic bag under the sink and everything went into it, you know, cans glass bottles. Back then, where I lived, we had no form of recycling at all. Nobody had ever even heard of compost, as far as I knew. Um, these were not ideas that were ever talked about. And I remember being like, wow, everything goes in there, huh? And then what? And, you know, with the curiosity of a little kid that doesn't get followed up on, and then fast forward to many decades later, and I'm living in Vermont, and I have a family of my own, and things have progressed tremendously right? Like people talk about zero waste. People have, you know, I am lucky enough to have a compost pile. I have access to different forms of recycling. There's all kinds of things that are disposable, our disposal. And I try to do everything I can because I care about the environment and I want to be a good citizen of the world. Um, and that's when I got the idea that, gee, you know, we're already doing so much and we have all these tools at our disposal. Um, how much would it take to go that one step further and actually have no trash at all. What would that be like? What would it look like? Would it even be possible? What would it entail? What would we learn? And so that's what I approached my fit. Excuse me. 
That's what I approached my family with. Uh, I said, I have an idea for a third and final, I promised, <laughs> project to torture you with. I like to say I invented a job for myself where I perform experiments on my family so I can write about it. <laughs> and they were like, okay, w- we know how hard these things are now. You can't fool us anymore. <laughs> and so I really, it was a hard sell, but I got them to agree that we that 2020 would be our year of no garbage and we would throw nothing away for the entire calendar year. And of course, you know, now we know that 2020 did not turn out to be the year anyone expected it to be. So that threw a whole bunch of wrenches into our uh, best laid plans. And that comes up in the book. Um, but, but you know, it's not a book about uh, the pandemic. It's a book about finding out where our things go and what happens to them. So you, you mentioned it's funny is when I uh, first read the book and was sitting down thinking about the concept and you kind of noted like, all right, you're bringing your family, dragging them along, I'm sure, to a certain extent into this challenge. And you just if anybody would have sit and think about it like I did, like like when you really think about what that entails, it's very daunting uh to think about those nitty gritties of what you would have to do um and you talk about that a bit can you just for listeners like kind of highlight like some of those initial challenges that you you uh quickly uncovered um i, I like the 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 example used of uh, the unraveling of the yarn but i'll leave it to uh to you to highlight some of the challenges or things you initially discovered yes so that that's that's an excellent point so when at the beginning of the project, of course, we jump in. And as we have done on every project, we sort of jump in without a lot of prior preparation. Um, And we are just moving. I found myself moving in slow motion. I had to because we are so conditioned by our culture, by our everyday life to just, oh, don't know what to do with it. Off it goes into the black plastic bag. It goes into the trash. And I find that those big empty bags, those trash cans that we have, Many of us have them strategically located in so many different parts of our home. And it's like an invitation. Just get rid of it. It'll be fine. Right. And and it's not going to be fine. And that's what I found out later on, that it's really, really not going to be fine. And I had to sort of go into this mode of like, okay, normally I would pitch this. Now what? And so what I did was I created what I called the super awesome recycling center in the corner of my kitchen, which started out really adorable and small. And I had little jars and little containers and baskets. And almost overnight, it exploded exponentially because there were so many things that I was like, okay, I don't even know what this material is. Like I thought I knew, right? I thought, hey, most things are recyclable, right? And our single stream garbage service provider for recycling They come and pick up every number of plastic, one through seven. How many more kinds of plastic could there possibly be? So (laughs) I was about to find out. And so every tiny little thing, um, you know, from from the heat shrink seal wraps that go around the caps on top of different products to, you know, um, to to uh, a, a used up ballpoint pen to um, to tissues. You'll see I don't use tissues anymore. I have. We, we switched from disposable products everywhere we could to durable goods. Um, we, we immediately went into crisis mode of, oh my God, <laughs> because this pile in the corner of our kitchen, I was spending every waking moment suddenly trying to keep it at bay and figure out the solutions for where all this material could go. Because 
as you can probably tell, I'm a very optimistic and stubborn person. <laughs> and I think those are her the kids. Her kids support that. that <laughs> of course, also, yeah. This is these are the two ingredients that create, you know, this situation, right? I'm I'm determined that garbage doesn't really exist. I mean, what's garbage? Garbage is just whatever we say it is, right? It's there is no thing that by definition is garbage. It's sort of like saying it's it's sort of like saying a, a weed. Um, what's a weed? Well, it's a plant growing somewhere you don't want it to grow. It just it hasn't gotten its context, right? So all these items I firmly believed, whether it was a spent ballpoint pen or or you know a used up matchbook or you know a, a a little bit of Kleenex, you know, you name it, and I had to find someone who wanted that thing. No small task. And so that was that was what I had set out before me. And and yeah, it took all my time. I had given myself a full time job. Yeah, you you actually used the term, uh, if if I remember the quote uh, in the book, trash is a, a made up idea. And that was really, I think, profound, because as you said, just a few moments ago, like growing up, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute. And it goes into that bin and off it goes in this magical world. And all will be well. Right. Yeah. The cartoon character told me so. <laughs> The thing that always strikes me uh, in these discussions is this phenomenon of microplastics, uh, the ubiquity of microplastics. I, I think I just read something that they, they found one in a, in a cave that hadn't been accessed, you know, by human beings for 5,000 years or something. Some archaeologists uh, found this. And, um, uh, of course, the, the ocean issue. I wonder if you could talk a little bit to our listeners about that, explain what it is and, uh, and the nature of the problem. Sure. So, you know, this this is fast forwarding a little bit in our project. I ended up because I was so, uh, you know, just frustrated and exasperated with all the misinformation and disinformation that there is out there regarding plastic in particular. Plastic really turned out to be the Darth Vader of our year of no garbage. Everything else I found really did have some good place to go, really would degrade eventually. But plastic, I was just like, what do we do with all of this? Um, and so I ended up taking a college class online on Zoom. And that's when I started to find out the real truth about this particular material pl that we call plastic that actually is not, there are not seven kinds of plastic as we might be led to believe by the little numbers in the resin identification code on so much of the plastic packaging we bring into our homes. Instead, there are tens of thousands of different kinds of plastic. And that has to do with the production and proprietary formulas for how they make all these different kinds of plastic from rigid plastic to soft plastic. But what I found out, you know, I got I got way more than I bargained for because I just wanted to know what to do with this stuff. But what I learned in this college class was that these things are 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 doing bad things everywhere in the world all the time. And we just don't always see it because it's happening on a very small level in the form of microplastics, as you said. And what scientists are now finding is that everywhere they look for microplastics, they're finding them. Um, it's horrifying, you know, whether it's the top of Mount Everest or the bottom of the Mariana Trench, they're everywhere and they're doing bad things because most people don't realize, I think, that I did not, that plastic is made of uh, two things. It's made of fossil fuels and toxic chemicals. So you've got this little tiny thing that physically is not necessarily good, but also it's filled with all of this chemistry, toxic chemistry. So you're talking heavy metals, persistent organic pollutants, 
PFAS. These are known endocrine disruptors, known carcinogens, known fertility inhibitors. And these microplastics are not just turning up in the environment and in the animals. Of course, now scientists are looking all throughout the human body and they're finding them everywhere in the human body that they look for them. So this is really horrifying. We're all walking around as repositories for our disposable plastics. Most people, I think, are under the impression, I know I was for a very long time, that plastic will eventually degrade. You know, it'll eventually break down. That maybe it'll take a couple decades. Maybe it'll take a couple of centuries even. We have no proof that plastic ever breaks down in the way that that would imply. Instead, it breaks up into tiny little pieces. It still retains its plasticness, but it just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And because microplastics, it becomes nanoplastics. It can now enter our bodies and, and our cells. So this is very scary stuff, passing the blood-brain barrier. They're finding plastics, in, microplastics in the human liver, blood, brain. They're finding it in bre breast milk uh, and the placenta of unborn babies. I mean, if that's not scary, I don't know what is. You, 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 I mean, I love the, you called the plastic, the, the Darth Vader, right? <laughs> this, this whole phenomenon or experiment. Um, but I also think you, you, you actually talk about uh, a whole list of, of truths, right. For, uh, about plastic. And if I can steal yes. the title a little bit and give a little bit of preview, um, is life without plastic even possible? That is, that is one of the chapters towards the end of the book. And I really, I was, it's a genuine question. Uh, you know, it's not rhetorical. I really, I, I actually spent a whole day um, where I woke up in the morning and for the entire day, the project was, I'm not going to touch plastic. I was being, you know, I'm a very literal person. And so I'm like, let's see how hard that is. Oh my God, I made mistakes every 10 minutes. It was so maddening. <laughs> Which just goes to show that plastic is far more ubiquitous in our lives than we consciously necessarily realize. You know, and it's crept in. There's a lot of plastic creep. Um, and so there's we've got our durable goods that are plastic. We've got our disposables that are plastic. And I strongly feel that disposable plastic is where we need to begin. Forty percent of the plastic that gets produced every year is single use disposable plastic packaging. That's insane. It's unnecessary. And we can start there. So I, I have to jump in. What about the medical system, right? And all the single-use plastics that are there, syringes, sealants, yes. you know, like packaging for, for everything. Is there anybody working on this uh, to, to, to lower the plastic output in that universe? Um, not to my knowledge. Um, that doesn't mean it, it doesn't exist. But I do feel that like medical is one of those sort of sacred, you know, hot button, like, oh my God, don't, you know, don't mess with, you know, like, it's a matter of priorities, right? If we're talking about preserving somebody's health and well-being and saving their life or giving them a procedure, you know, that's something that I'm like, okay, maybe that plastic is going to be worthwhile versus the plastic bag filled with, you know, plastic wrapped products that I just brought home from the grocery store. You know, it's a matter of degree, a matter of necessity. So I'm like, okay, medical plastics are going to be there. And we can worry about them in a little bit, but first let's start with the disposable crap that's completely unnecessary. I mean, stuff like 
you you know, people get takeout food and they're throwing in all of this plastic cutlery that is wrapped in more plastic and then plastic sachets of condiments. What happens to all that stuff? I think 90% of the time it ends up in the trash. It's completely unnecessary. So now you've got some states that are passing laws and, you know, it's called stop the stuff, you know, don't throw all that stuff in unless people ask for it. Don't give them a straw unless they would like one or need one. You know, there are people who do need straws, right? But most of us don't. So these are the, the measures we can take. And sometimes they can feel incremental and maddeningly small. But they're also a matter of awareness and getting people to see the plastic that's right in front of them. So next book is Year of No Straw. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, uh, but but see, serious, ahead, serious question, though, is biodegradable plastic a myth? I talk about this in the book uh, pretty thoroughly, and uh, essentially the 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 takeaway is uh, yeah, kinda. <laughs> Mostly yes. Like when you go, for example, to your coffee shop and you get a smoothie, uh, like I do here in Vermont, and you know they're they're giving you a cup that's you know they'll label it that it's compostable, for example, or it's made with plants, bioplastic. Yeah, you know what? If it looks like plastic and it feels like plastic, it's going to behave like plastic. It's not going to degrade in your home compost pile. And if you send it off to the landfill, it's not going to break down there either. And so, and you're still talking about toxic chemicals. Those same chemicals are used to make that bioplastic as a regular plastic. So it's not progress. And I think it's a false solution. I think that we really need to just focus on, hey, can I have a real cup? Because I'm going to drink it here. (laughs) Think measures like that will do so much more good than pretending and greenwashing. You know, uh, there are so many companies now that have jumped on the bandwagon of making green pledges. And by 2050, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And by 2060, oh my God, first of all, that's so far away. And second of all, we know that two thirds of corporate pledges to go greener are either forgotten, abandoned, or outright lies. Okay. Two thirds. Wow. Two thirds. It's really shocking. Um, And you know, so so we've given the industry of plastics, which is because it's made with fossil fuel, we're not, when we say big plastic, we mean big oil, right? So we're talking huge, powerful industry with almost limitless resources, squadrons of lobbyists, you know, very, very powerful stuff. Um, taking that on is no small matter. So I think we need to think big. We need to think about legislation. Um, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. So, so even if we end up in a, you know, in an all electric vehicle uh, universe here, you're you're still going to have oil and gas companies pushing big plastic. In fact, right. all the more, right? Because they see the writing on the wall. They see more and more people who are trying to get away from fossil fuels and driving electric cars, and they say, "Oh, it's all right because we're going to triple our plastic production in by 2050." That is the industry's own projections. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know anybody who wants triple the amount of plastic in their life than they already have today. But that's what we're talking about. We're talking about going to the grocery store and now they're wrapping lemons and saran wrap on little plastic trays. Why? That's not necessary. Nobody needs it. Nobody's asking for it. So you talk about like people will say, well, what about the demand for plastic? And I say, I think that's a false narrative. I think that there's not so much a demand for plastic as there's a a supply problem with plastic. It's not a demand problem. It's a supply problem. 
They're pushing it forward in every industry they can possibly find. And there was an article in the New York Times that was cited by Bill McKibben recently, where, and I could find the article for you if pressed, uh, where the industry, the plastic industry executives were, were targeting Africa and saying, you know, Africa, these countries, they don't use enough plastic. We got to work on that, right? So they're using their corporate brains and that makes sense. For decades, we've, you know, they've been telling us we can just solve the plastic waste problem by recycling better. And you know what? That's a false narrative. It's not true. How many decades do we need to wait before we realize that that is them taking their problem and putting it on us, the consumer? Now, they've created this problem and they need to clean up their mess. And we need to insist on that. So the, the whole thing just sounds horrifying uh, and very <laughs> depressing. Um, it's true. And we, we, Matt and I write about national security and war and death and destruction. So I guess it's nothing new for us. It's just kind of a new kind of realm. Um, I think one of the, the easiest ways of really horrifying listeners, the simplest ways, uh, is talking about your, um, your list of 10 statistics, I think it was, or facts about garbage and just reading those. Can you kind of just summarize those for listeners to really make everybody depressed? Oh my gosh. Well, you know, so like in the book, I talk about a whole bunch of statistics, like 40% of our oceans are now part of the uh, great uh, garbage patch of plastic, right? And it's not just one great Pacific garbage patch. Every ocean on the planet now has its own plastic garbage patch. And I say plastic because that's what it is. If it was any other material, it would break up and break down and eventually go away, return to the elements that composed it. Okay, but plastic is the problem. Um, on top of that, we know that plastic fosters environmental racism. We know that our plastic is not getting recycled. We know that even though when you ask Americans, what do you recycle? They will say plastic before they say anything else. 85% of people asked will cite plastic as something they recycle. And yet we also know that only 5% of plastic is being recycled in any conceivable way, right? So 95% of plastic is not getting recycled. Well, where is it all going then? If 85% of people are putting their plastic into that single stream recycling container, where does it end up? What we know now is that it's being diverted through a mostly black market system around the world. It's being shipped to developing nations, uh, impoverished nations that do not have the infrastructure to deal with it. And it's being dumped illegally most of the time on their landscapes. So our recycling that we have, you know, so we've done so good. We, we cleaned it and dried it and sorted it and put it in the proper bin. We did all the stuff we're supposed to do. And that is the stuff that is littering the playgrounds of some child in Kenya or Myanmar or Vietnam. It's horrifying. And it if you want to, to learn- uh, It used to be China, but uh, even now yes. they've refused, right? That's right, with their national so sword I, policy. I have a provocative question. G given the system now, right, not the long-term question, but given the system now, is it better to just throw the plastic in the garbage? To at least prevent that from happening and, and, and put it in, you know, in, in more or less well-run American. <laughs> so this is after a lot of time and a lot of contemplation. This is where I've arrived at is I realize now how bad plastic truly is, how bad the materials are that they shed, that they, you know, all the stuff 
right? And so I, and I know that it's not getting recycled. I'd rather it go to a landfill and sit there for maybe centuries until someone comes up with a good solution for what to do with this. I'd rather that happen than what's happening currently. I'd rather not delude myself. Right. Because we can, we will have it contained somewhere. It's not going to, uh, like you said, a child's it's, playground in Africa. It's we not can ideal. It somewhere we can manage it, and maybe, hopefully, optimistically, in the future, uh, industry or scientists will come up with a potential solution for what to do with that growing pile of of trash. Exactly. That, that's that's fascinating. It's it's better off potentially or arguably to put it tra- in the trash bin rather than recycle. Yes. So that that is the solution I, I have arrived at. And I know it's kind of controversial, but actually in our house, we don't recycle plastic at all anymore, knowing what we know now. And people will say, well, what about recycled plastic? There is recycled plastic. I see it in the marketplace. And I say, OK, but remember those toxic chemicals, right? So now you're taking different toxic chemicals and combining them It's a degraded form of plastic, so structurally it's not as good as the first form. It's extremely expensive, we also know, to do that, way more expensive than virgin plastic. But also, you're now talking about a Frankenstein combination of toxic chemicals, and all those chemicals are interacting all the time and and creating new chemicals in many cases. We don't even necessarily know what's in that recycled piece of plastic. So when they say, oh, it's going to be great, we're going to have recycled plastic containers for your food. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to buy that, right? There's a reason that we don't see more recycled plastic. It's because it's dangerous for containing our food. It would, it's, it's not okay. It's going to leach that toxic chemistry into your food all the more. Um, the older a plastic is, the higher the temperature a plastic has, and the more it's been degraded, i.e. recycling, the more it sheds microplastics and toxic chemistry into the space around it, which means into your food. So don't heat your plastics. Yeah, (laughs) don't heat your plastic. (laughs) And don't drink bottled water, even sitting at room temperature. It will, uh, all bottled water has microplastics in it. And there was a study done in 2022 called the Danish water bottle study, where they took a athletic, you know, reusable, the kind of uh, athletic water bottle you might give your kid to go to soccer practice with. And they, it was new, clean. They filled it with tap water that was also completely uncontaminated. And they let it sit out for 24 hours on a countertop at room temperature. They checked it the next day and it had 400 different plastic related chemicals that had leached in that period of time into that water. So think about that when you're, you know, oh, I want my kid to stay hydrated at soccer practice. 400 plastic related chemicals had leached into the water in 24 hours. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. So, you know, these are the horrifying things. And then you take that and put it in the dishwasher and the heat in the dishwasher is encouraging still more microplastics shedding, toxic chemical shedding. It's just, it gets, the more you know, the worse it gets. And avoiding plastic and reducing the amount that we use all the time, everywhere we go, when we can, is what I recommend. And so personal responsibility is great, but I'm also talking about personal protection, right? Like not everybody cares about the turtles and the dolphins or even climate change, but they care about their own bodies. And they care about the bodies of their children 
and their grandchildren and whether or not they get to have grandchildren because we're talking about fertility too, right? So it's, yeah, the, the news gets worse the more you know. And that's why I try in the narrative of Year of No Garbage to present it as a, a story and very optimistic because I am a confirmed optimist and I do feel that the beginning of change is awareness. You know, uh, yes, we all, you know, wouldn't it be lovely if we all go out tomorrow and buy a bamboo toothbrush, but that will not alone solve the plastic waste crisis. You know, even if each one of the people listening to this podcast goes out and does what, you know, a a version of what we did and tries to go zero waste, it's still not going to be enough. And that's why we need to talk about legislative change. The corporations, corporate change would be lovely, but they've had decades and they're not doing it. So now we need to go to the law and say legislative change is how we fix this. And we've already started with things like styrofoam bans, with uh, plastic bag bans. Um, Right now, the 2023 Break Free from Plastic Pollution Act is wending its way through the halls of Congress. Um, You call your representative and tell them it's a good bill and that you want them to pass it. And we know that the UN is now uh, working on a global plastics treaty. So there are efforts being made, and we should not lose hope. This is a battle we can win. That That's absolutely fascinating, and it's exactly what we had uh, Dr. Jim Kenter on the last episode of George Mason University, and he said the exact same thing. He's like, individual efforts, you know, as noble as they may be in terms of recycling, driving that electric vehicle, changing that light bulb, et cetera, it's really unfortunately not going to make a difference. And uh, his solution solution was vote. You have to vote. Um, You have to get those policies implemented. You have to pass that legislation. Uh, And that's exactly what he said uh, as well. And the important thing to be aware of as like your average voter is that the plastics industry is onto us. And so they're out there with their squadrons of lobbyists frantically passing laws. You know, they're passing plastic bag ban bans, for example. Um, They're trying to convince people that burning plastic constitutes recycling. It does not. (laughs) And it doesn't matter what lovely euphemistic name they give it. They can call it waste to energy. They can call it pyrolysis. Um, What are some of the other terms? Advanced recycling, chemical recycling. All these sounds sort of like, ooh, that that sounds really good. Waste to energy sounds like a very positive thing. But it's not. It's burning plastic. And so what do you get when you burn plastic? Well, you get some energy and you also get toxic ash and toxic fumes. And you encourage people to make more of it right? Because it's not a problem. It's great. We'll just burn it. It'll be fine. It's not fine. And we shouldn't burn it. We need to make less of it. That's the solution. So I have a question. Uh, first of all, I want to say to the kids listening at home, politics matters. That's why we do what we do. Um, secondly, do you see the garbage problem related to climate change, not environmental problems, but specifically to global warming, You know the things that our, our previous speaker talked about? This is something that most people don't make the connection between. They know that the plastic waste crisis is a big problem. They know that the climate crisis is a big problem, but they don't put the two things together and they do belong together. Every step of the process of plastic from from production, which is fracking and extraction, to refining, production, distribution, consumption, and then disposal, every single step releases the emissions that cause climate change. And if plastics were a country, 
it would be the fifth largest producer of the emissions that cause climate change. It's truly shocking. It's a significant source of the emissions that cause climate change, something most people don't connect, but it's very true. Plastics are a climate change issue. Thank you. I think that's very important to get out there. I know we have to wrap it up soon, but I need to I need to ask you a question parent to parent. <laughs> right? So I understand. I am in awe of what you got your kids to do. Um, so <laughs> I bow at that one. Um, but I have kids, as it turns out, a lot of them just kind of showed up. Um, <laughs> and and so we raised four kids uh, with, with our, starting with our first one 12 years ago almost 13, have a birthday, Jasper, um, in cloth diapers. And it was insane. And we used a lot of detergent, which I'm assuming the detergent itself has microplastics in it. Uh, you know, we, we went to, uh, to, you know, to paper napkin, or not paper, to, to cloth napkins and things like that. We almost went to toilet paper and I put the kibosh on that one. Um, <laughs> is it better? Oh, reusable to toilet like, paper? Yeah, reusable toilet paper. Oh, yeah. boy. Yeah. I talked oh, about that. You didn't that. go there. No, we you didn't. didn't go there with your family. Okay, All that right. was the ick factor. I mean, now we got okay, now. Well, just a little respect. Okay, okay. <laughs> just a little. Okay. Okay, we got what it. Can I say? I, I didn't yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, well, all right, all right. Touche for the for touche for the touche on the bidet. Um, dad jokes are strong here. This is what I happens. appreciate that. I do a lot of kids. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, is it is it better to do things like that for young families with kids? Uh, given everything you've said and, and given sort of the, the, the trade-off with putting plastics in the in the water because i'm assuming uh, the covers for cloth diapers aren't cloth that's true uh and i talk a lot about for example period products and how most people don't understand that the tampon that you're putting in your body as a woman you know not only is that tampon the packaging is plastic the applicator is often plastic but the tampon itself is plastic that you're putting inside your body so you're absorbing all that wonderful toxic chemistry, you know, what when you do that. This is the thing, it's insidious and it's so everywhere. Um, to, to answer your question, I, I think that, again, it comes back to this personal responsibility. What can I reasonably do? Um, what we did during our year was not reasonable, right? That was the point, actually, was I want to go to this place that most people cannot go to. And I want to bring back like an explorer. I'm going to go and take notes and bring back all the things I learn and, you know, tell you a story. And that that's sort of the basis of fear of no garbage. But I feel that, you know, personal responsibility is all about making those changes incrementally. It's uncomfortable. And I encourage people to do whatever they can do. I had someone at a talk I was doing recently ask me about adult diapers she said, my, I'm taking care of my father and there's so many diapers and I just, I, I'm horrified by it. What can I do? And I'm sort of like, mm, pick your battles. I wouldn't pick that one first, right? I don't know what the solution is there. I don't think cloth diapers are going to work for her father. Um, but I think there's so many other places where you can start. There's so many instances throughout our day. You go to the, we make choices all day long, every day. Make the, pick the low hanging fruit first incorporate the changes you can and keep going, right? And talk to people about it. And I find that, you know, instead of being like this, you know, confrontational, do you know what's in that? Um, I, the approach that I prefer is, oh my God, do you know what I just found out? And that 
and people are, you know, I'm horrified. Are you horrified? And, and people always are. And, and that's the thing when they learn about the microplastics in their bodies, in the placenta of unborn babies, when they learn about, you know, the, the great Pacific garbage patches that are taking over our oceans. I mean, nobody wants any of those things. This is not anything we're voting for, right? We don't want those things, but this has all happened and we didn't ask for it, but we now need to address it. We need, we need to do everything we can. So do the personal responsibility stuff you can. I look back at the number of diapers that I used and the number of plastic sippy cups that my children chewed on the tops for years. And I, that's enough to horrify me for a good long time, right? But I got, I got to move forward and pick my battles. And like, I didn't know. I didn't know back then. So we, we can beat ourselves up and feel guilty, which I do not encourage. <laughs> or... We can say, you know what, today I'm going to pick the eggs that come in the cardboard container instead of the plastic container. And I'm going to redouble my efforts to bring my bags to the supermarket. And when I go to the coffee shop, I'm going to say, could I have a real cup, please? I'm going to I'm going to drink it here. You know, one of the biggest um, takeaways from Year of No Garbage is this. And I talked about it a little bit at the beginning of our year, the, the slowing down. Like, do we really need a takeaway cup for every cup of coffee we drink? I don't think we do. I think that it's the culture. We're sped up. We're encouraged to speed up. Disposables are a huge part of that. And we need to sort of rethink that and be more thoughtful. Um, my little closeout, Eve, I have so appreciated talking to you. This has been so fun and I've, I've learned a ton. Um, and I just want to recommend again to the listeners that year of you no know, garbage is, isn't garbage. You should read it um, uh, and, and her other books. Thank you again so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, Eve.